Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. You made it through Thanksgiving. Hopefully you had a good time and didn't get too much of the cold, right? So I feel like someone you know is sick at this very moment, and it might be you, right? Uh, man, uh, we, we had a good time. I, I was overcoming being sick, and so I didn't get to play in the turkey bowl, but I had a blast just being there as bummed as I was to not play in it, but it was so fun seeing all the dudes there playing football and uh, having a really good time. I hope everyone's like recovering. Davis was out there making plays. You're probably fine though. You're tough. Yeah, you're ready to go again. Let's go again. I love it. All right, how are you doing, Alex? Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Well, we're, glad, we're, we're glad that you're here. There's healing in, in the church, right? Yeah. Especially for egos. So it's fine. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a really, really good time. We had a, a, a good Thanksgiving and um, just celebrating what God is doing, especially as we head in the holidays. You know, this next series is called The Gift of Hope. And for four weeks, and even on Christmas Sunday, I know Christmas is on a Sunday. Uh, It's a really unique opportunity that comes, it's like either every five, six, or 11 years. Um, But we were really blessed to, even on that day, share the hope of Jesus Christ. And the whole series is going to be really focused on um, inviting people to hear, maybe for the first time, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And so as we look around and we see all the hurting and broken people around us, or maybe people that even know Jesus, but man, it's been a long time since they've held hope in their heart. Uh, We want to have an opportunity to be a source of life and encouragement for them. So we've just been encouraging you over the past uh, few weeks as we walk through the 40 days leading up to Christmas to pray for four people in 40 days. Or for people that maybe cross your path or in your life or in your family that you could invite uh, to hear a message of, of hope this season and really give them the best gift that you could possibly give anybody, which is an opportunity to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I encourage you. I know all the commercials and all the things, they make it about us, but I think we can make it about Jesus, and we will enjoy it so much more, Um, because we have a nation that's made it about us, and is not really enjoying themselves, right? Uh, But man, we make it about God. He does something cool in us, too, and we get the joy of that. Um, but this morning, we've been inviting people up just to share a testimony of, of how they found Banner and what God is doing to encourage us as we seek to invite other people. So this morning, I really wanted to invite up the Rhinegals. If they would come join me on stage, would you welcome them this morning? Why don't you guys just introduce yourself and tell us uh, how you found uh, Banner Church? Hey, I'm Silas, and this is Stephanie. We got uh, two kids and the third one on the way. They're two ones are happily playing in the kids' area. And um, yeah, it's it's okay. How did we come to Banner, Silas? Anyway, let's see. So. Uh, we, last, a year and a half ago, we heard from Mike and Heather that they found this fantastic new church with just lots of talented, passionate people. And one Sunday, we were, uh, yeah, wanted to kind of check out a new place, and we popped on over here. Uh, and it's, it was incredible. Like, it just blew us away, and we've been coming uh, since. This one I'll ask right. I'll try my best here. What, what has your experience been like, you know, since you've been here? What, what has God been doing, and, and what has your experience been like at Banner? Um, one thing that has been a huge blessing for me is just being surrounded by people who view children as a blessing and a gift from God. As a mom with two little kids and another one coming, our family is growing, and it's so exciting to see people excited for us in this season and just acknowledging that every child is a gift and that while there are hard days those are hard days and they're not the the normal they're the children are not a burden and that i see so often in our society that people just talk about how draining it is or how um, how the season 
of having toddlers is just so, it's such a trial and you just have to bear through it, but it'll, it'll pass. And, and it's just encouraging to be around people who view these little humans that God created as that and like as a blessing and a gift from him. I guess for me, there's two big things that have jumped out at me. Uh, number one, I just see the fire uh, in each one of you guys. So I've personally felt that I've just been more energized and excited and called to serve, to serve more and to have bigger dreams, uh, to increase my faith because of each one of you guys and Pastor Josh continually challenging us. Um, and just, yeah, the, the stories and the relationships we have in small groups kind of getting to see what people are doing and how they're impacting their world. That's helped us to see to believe bigger things that God's doing more through us in the world around and also, yeah, for the world around, for our community and for our family. Aww, and also man. just dream bigger things to realize that God's the God who makes things possible right. and that there are things that without him we wouldn't think are, but if we're willing to believe and pray, like God does. Amen. And that's, that's big. Come on. So how would you guys encourage people as we're talking about, hey, you know, you know, invite people to hear a message of hope, invite people into you know, to your church family, right, the thing that you, that you love and care about, how would you encourage people um, to, to do that or in that that uh, journey this season? So I think, like, obviously inviting people and extending that formal invitation is fantastic, but I think it starts before you get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, Mike and Heather were telling us for months before we came how amazing this new church is and how they were seeing God move here. And hearing those stories when we were in a place where we were looking for a new church home we immediately thought let's go check out this place that we've heard so much about yeah. and it was obvious once we got here that god is moving here and that everyone just seemed so full of life once once we walked up the sidewalk it was like an immediate like <laughs> people waving at us from the street um, like it was just a a mind-blowing experience and that first Sunday we knew like driving home we were like well I don't know for sure if we're, we're supposed to be there for the long term but there was no doubt in our minds that that's where God wanted us that Sunday um, and we ended up coming back and, and we <laughs> love it it's where he wanted us um, but yeah just it starts with just talking about what you're seeing God doing and um, the ways that you're experiencing community here or seeing him move and grow in you or healing other people there's just he's doing so much here so just talk about it and then if the opportunity comes up to extend an invitation do it but people will hear what you are experiencing and you might not they might not even be the person that you would think to invite but if you talk about it then <coughs> they'll think to come when it's right. when it's time for them to come come on awesome well today is the first day of advent Yay. this is actually the start of the christmas season I know it's November, but it starts in November just because God loves you and he wants Christmas to be here now. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we've invited the Veronicals to, to lead us in Advent this morning in the lighting of the candle and the reading and the prayer. So I'll give you guys the mic and you can head over there and, and lead us. In this first bit in Advent, we're looking at how Jesus brings hope to our world, how he not only came 2,000 years ago to bring hope, but he's still bringing hope to us right. today. Right. And I think that's a really, really helpful thing right now, especially as we're all facing times of uncertainty and challenge. The fact that Jesus can be our hope is just incredible to me. Amen. I'm going to read from uh, Isaiah. Um, this is where God kind of introduced this and gave us a little preview. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Heavenly Father, I 
just thank you so much for that you've given us hope through Jesus Christ. That even though our world has suffering and pain and there's uh, uncertainty and tough times, that you are our ultimate hope. And that Jesus gives us hope for our daily life, for our community, and for eternity. Would you just help us to focus in this, this time of Advent on that hope that we have in you and lay aside the, the doubts and the fears and the concerns and rest in you for our hope. We thank you for this gift that you've given us that keeps on renewing our lives year in and year out. Amen. message of hope really excited to get into our series on hope uh, and honestly all of December next week we have the joy of not only celebrating the the new addition to our staff we talked about but also launching into all kinds of fun things that are happening and believing together so uh, I want to let you know that the man this series has been a lot of apologetics and focus and defense but this next series it's about life and hope and renewal and so maybe that's you or someone you know but i just encourage you sunday is going to bless your life and encourage you and uh, today even though we're talking about something a little difficult today is actually also a message of hope and of life and today we're finishing our series called confronting christianity with a message entitled why does god allow suffering the Barna Research Group asked, if you could ask God any question and you knew that he would answer, what would you ask? And the top response, meaning the most people chose it, was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? It's a big question, right? We see suffering in the news. We see it on social media. We see it in our own homes or maybe in our own lives. Philip Yancey, in his book, Where is God When It Hurts, in the first chapter titled, A Problem That Won't Go Away, said, this is not just an intellectual issue to be debated in sterile academic arenas. It's an intensely personal matter that can tie our emotions into knots and leave us in spiritual vertigo, disoriented, frightened, and angry. One writer referred to the problem of pain or sorry, to the problem of pain as the question mark turned like a fish hook in the human heart. Suffering carries with it this, this air of mystery and the sense that we can try to understand it or we can try to make sense out of it, but most often than not, we, we, we just simply can't. When uh, there was a large fire at the MGM Grand Hotel and Billy Graham had recently done a revival in that uh, in, in that area and in the hotel, they asked him about uh, the tragedy and what had occurred. And he said, there's mysteries to tragedies like this. We don't always know the answer. And so often when it comes to tragedy and tragedies, we're left with a lot of questions. In, in recent tragic shootings that have occurred, if you've been following the news, right, we're left with more questions and answers. And people are left questioning constantly and questioning and questioning and questioning. And so suffering is a very difficult topic to broach because as we begin to step into suffering, uh, it's incredibly uncomfortable. And so almost the knee-jerk human reaction is to try to find a way to tie a really nice bow on human suffering and like smooth it out and make it easy to deal with. But the reality is that human suffering is not easy to deal with. And that's what's going to make everything else, I'm going to say, so important and special. Because it's not easy, and we don't have the answers, but the answers can be found through God and His Word. Amen. In fact, by the very nature that we recognize that there is some brokenness, something in this world that is not as it should be, begins to point us towards the Lord. We say something is not right, which means at one point it was right, or it should be right, or it could be right. But what is right, and who defines it, and where did it come from? Did it simply become? Did it simply be? Or was it meant to be? See, we believe today through the Word of God and His Holy Scripture that 
rightness comes from God. It comes from the God who created heavens and earth. It comes from the God who created man and woman to live in a perfect Eden. So the question then is if God created everything, I want to give you a couple questions here. The very first question I think we need to look at then is did God create evil? But before we do that, uh, let's pray together, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and it is active. And God, we pray that it would be active today in our hearts, that it would speak to us and transform us and renew us. And I pray even right now to the person who is suffering, I pray that you would begin to reveal the depths and riches of your love to them. And even right now as we begin, that they would begin to realize that they are not alone, but that you are with them. In your name, amen. amen. So let's start with that question. Did God create evil? I just want to hit you with a couple <coughs> questions uh, on this issue. Did God create evil? If scripture says that God created everything and all things were created that, that were created were from him, and evil is in the world, then does that mean that God created evil? That like God created it, we like discovered it, he had it like hidden in a basement, like a sub-basement. Right? Did God create evil? And so there, there's something that we need to explain, and it has to do with the fact that God is all-powerful and our understanding of being all-powerful. See, God is all-powerful, but there are some things that God cannot do. You know, like, that doesn't make sense. If he's all-powerful, it means he can do all things. And that's true. The things he cannot do are the things that are contradictory to his existence as an all-powerful being. So when people say, like, can God create a rock that's so heavy even he can't lift it? No, God cannot do things that are counter to possibility, meaning counter to reality, counter to his existence and his uh, omnipresence and his omniscience and his all-powerful nature. So another version would be God cannot make himself cease to exist. That would be counter to the reality of his all-powerful nature. So the other thing that God cannot do is God cannot make evil. Why? Because God is all good, and since he is all good, he cannot make evil. Are you still with me? Because the opposite of good is evil. So if he's all good and he can't make evil, then the question is, where does evil come from? And I want to look at that together. If you brought your Bible, jump with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. In Genesis, God creates man and women, and, and he man and woman, and he gives them something called free will. Somebody say free will. Free will. See, the irony of that is I told you to do it and you didn't. Um, <laughs> Free will. Free will. So now some of you did not say free will, and, and that was your choice because you have free will, right? Uh, you have free will. You're watching online. You heard everyone here say it, but you were like, I refuse. I don't go into the church. I don't say the things the pastor says. I refuse. That's your free will, right? We were created with free will, meaning we have the capacity to choose. You have a capacity to make choices. Are you still with me? Yes. That is what free will is. It's not that you have choices. It's that you have the capacity to make choices. So God creates man and woman with the capacity to make choice, which is fundamental to free will. Now, here's what it says in Genesis 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God puts the tree in the garden, but what is he establishing here for Adam as a free will human being? 
He's establishing him an opportunity to exercise his capacity for choice. Right? And he's making it abundantly clear. You can live in the garden and things will go this way. You can eat of the tree and you will die. Right? It's not a surprise to him. When he eats of the tree, right, he was told. It's not like, wait, you didn't say anything about this. Right? In fact, Eve says, well, God told us that we would die. And the snake's like, man, did he really say that? She's like, yeah, isn't that crazy? We don't even know what that is. Right? And so they're given a choice, right? You can have all this life, or you can rebel, and that will lead to death. And so Adam and Eve choose, by their own free will, the path to suffering. This is important. God did not create evil. He created choice. And I'm going to explain why in a second. And mankind chose sin. So the question then is, why did God allow us them to choose sin, right? If you're creating the world, why even allow people to choose sin? Why would you even allow that kind of evil into your world? If you're creating, if you're a guy, you can create a world. Why would you even allow people the capacity to choose sin? Because there's no free will without choice. And if you can't have free will and you can't have choice, then you cannot love. Love is a choice. If God created mankind as robots and there was no free will and we were simply slaves and we simply did what we were programmed to do, then there would not be love. See, in order for us to love, we have to choose to love. So yes, on one side, the world would be free of hate, but on the other side, it would also be free of love, which is the highest value in the universe. That's important. Real love, our love of God, our love of each other, God's love of us, it all involves choice. The problem is, from the beginning of there being a choice, when they could have chosen love, people have chosen hate. Are you with me? From the beginning of the choice, when there could have been love and unity and connection with God, people have chosen rebellion to their own sin. That's where it comes from. Yes, part of human suffering is a consequence of a broken world, famine, disaster, earthquakes, that is part of the brokenness that sin has brought into the world. But a majority of human suffering comes from human evil. We produce enough food to feed the world. Why are there still hungry people? Human evil, yeah. greed, selfishness, hatred, violence, racism, tribalism, right? War because of human evil. So then you might say, well, if it's human evil, then why doesn't God just remove all human evil off the face of the earth? Like, right? That seems like a straight-up solution to me. And I want to let you know he did that. If you're one of those people who's like, wipe them out. Right, God, find all the evil people, wipe them out. I want to let you know he did that with water. Here's how it went. Genesis 6. I'm going to tell you about a man named Noah. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth, that it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds in heaven. Everyone's getting it, not just the humans. The birds are getting it too. It says, for I'm sorry I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So what does God do, right? He wipes out all the evil, right? That's what he's saying. God, why don't you just stop all the evil? Wipe them out. Wipe them out, God. He says, done. And then immediately after the flood, if you're familiar with the story, what happens? Human evil happens. Like with Noah and his family. Immediate, like during, like immediately. Like literally, it's like chapter one, chapter two. Right? Immediately. Why? Because humans are messy. Where we go, we make messes. Because if you don't wipe out all the people, right, where do you draw the line? 
So we all want a line to be drawn. God, you should wipe out those people, but none of us want to be on the line. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Now, those people, they've committed enough evil. They need to go. But it's like you've hurt people. Maybe you're on someone's line. I don't know. I might not know that part of you. So the question is, where, you know, what, what's the right amount of suffering? Because there's like a ratio. What's the right amount? What's not the right amount? That becomes incredibly problematic. It also becomes incredibly scary. How many of you would love to live in a world where you're like, I hope my, my, uh, su my suffering inflicted tank doesn't get too high because I'm going to get smitten. Smote. Smitten is where you fall in love. Those words are too close to mean such opposite things. All right, someone write to the English and tell them to fix this. We've had enough. It's been hundreds of years. They should have figured this out by now. How dare they? You say, well, I know, but he's letting people get away with it. There's some evil that God is just letting people get away with. And I want to encourage you that no, he is not. You need to know this. There is no justice without eternal justice. In our eyes, they might, but justice delayed is not necessarily justice denied. And sometimes we have to take solace in Revelation 20:12 that says that those who refuse to call on his name will see the great book open and the dead judged according to their sins. And they will stand in judgment before God. And he will. People say, only God can judge me. It's like, he will. <laughs> I'd probably prefer it was me instead. <laughs> I have no power. <laughs> But the day will come when God will set all accounts and will bring accountability at the right time. But I love what 2 Peter 3.9 says about the Lord. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isn't that the Lord? Right? Isn't that the Lord that sees Paul, who's a murderer? And though the church was saying, Paul, Paul should be on the line that gets wiped out. Paul should be on the line. God, wipe him out. And he says, instead, I'm going to use him to build my church. That's the God that we serve, that the source of suffering becomes the, the moment and the opportunity of testimony, that the addict becomes a megaphone for the grace of God, that a murderer, right, becomes the writer that leads people to Christ. That's the God that we serve. And if he's it for us, we got to let him be it for other people, too. I think about this. I don't know if you ever thought about this. If you were God, how would you solve the problem of suffering? Right? How would you solve it? You know, because we've all suffered. We've, we've maybe seen our family suffer. We've suffered. Our kids have suffered. And we thought, yeah, we got to solve this. If you were God, how would you solve it? Because you can't end free will. That would change the whole thing. How do you rescue a people that rejected you and rebelled against you, right? Say, well, I just ripped the cover back and show them this is really what evil is. I was reading C.S. Lewis to my daughter the other night, and there's a, in the last book, they take this donkey and they tie a lion skin over, over the donkey, and they take the donkey out and pretend that it's Aslan. And the, the donkey convinces all the people to do a bunch of terrible and stupid things in the name of Aslan. And uh, then the, the, the king of Narnia takes this donkey and brings him out and, and frees these dwarves and says, look, it's just a donkey. And they're like, yeah, we know that's not real, but we don't even, we're not going to believe anything now. We're not going to believe anyone now. We don't trust anyone now. How do you rescue a people who have rejected you and rebelled against you? You can't take away free will. You can't ignore evil. You can't change evil to good. And you can't force people to love you and choose life, right? And although humanity's suffering is the consequence of its own sin, you love them too much to abandon them to it. So what do you do? What's the answer to suffering? The answer to suffering is Jesus Christ. The answer to suffering is Jesus Christ. Templeton in his book, Farewell to God, said that, you know, if God grieves over one sparrow, like Matthew 5 says, then how can he even begin 
to, to take upon himself all of the grief for all of the suffering that has ever occurred. He says it's just unimaginable that God could take upon himself all of the suffering of every century, of every person that has ever lived. And I, I, I would agree with him, though we're going to reach a different conclusion. I do think it's unimaginable, but it's not unbelievable because it's supernatural. That is what makes it miraculous. See, on the cross, I don't know if you knew this, Jesus took our sins and he bore on himself all the pain of this world in a profoundly supernatural act. I would say almost as impressive, if not on par, with speaking the world into existence. In that in that moment, Jesus took every pain, picture every pain, every suffering that you have, every pain, every suffering that you are in right now, everything your family has felt, everything your family's families, families, families have felt, every single moment of sorrow, pain, and suffering, he took that ball, he ate it, and digested it eternally. He fully tasted every part of that. That's supernatural. That he bore the totality of humanity's sorrows upon himself. It's not just that he died for you. It's what he bore for you on the cross. That he loved you so much. He knew he was going to take that. And he looked you in the eyes from across eternity and said, I will take this cup for you. Isaiah 53, he says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Hey and afflicted. I don't know where I got that. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, God created us with a choice because in order to love him, we had to choose to love him, but we chose to rebel from him. And he could have justifiably, in a just sense, sat back and said, okay, well, now you live with the wrath of that choice. But God is too loving to do that. That God is rich in mercy. See, it's not that a loving God allows suffering, but that a loving God stepped into a suffering world to suffer our pains, to suffer in this life, and then to bear our suffering on the cross and now offer himself in the midst of our suffering. Strobel says many Christians try to get God off the hook for suffering, but God put himself on the hook, so to speak, on the cross. See, the answer to suffering is not a, a bunch of words. It's not a long theory or even a theology. The answer is Jesus Christ. It's not a philosophical idea. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It, it can't be abstract because suffering is not abstract. It's personal, right? And we need a personal answer. And the personal answer to suffering is the person of Jesus who in our suffering, when we say, God, where are you? He, Jesus, says, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm for you. I have not forgotten you or forsaken you. I am present with you. I want you to hear me today. If you're in suffering, if you're struggling, that Jesus is present in all our suffering. Are you at the lowest place? Jesus is there. Are you broken? Do you know he was broken for us? Are you hated and despised? He was despised and rejected by men. 
Do you cry out when you feel like you just cannot take it anymore? He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Have you been betrayed? Have you been cheated? Have you been sold out? He was sold out by his own. Have you felt forgotten? Have you felt like everyone left you? He was left by the people that he cared about. Have the people you loved rejected you? He too loved and was rejected. Have people turned from you in your time of need? They hid their faces from him. Corey Ten Boom from the midst of a Nazi death camp where she was suffering wrote this. There is no pit so deep that Jesus is not deeper still. It's said he's gassed in Auschwitz, he's sneered at Soweto, he's mocked in North Ireland, he's enslaved in Sudan. He's the one we love to hate, yet to us he's chosen to return love. Every tear we shed becomes his tear. He may not wipe them away yet, but he will. This morning, for those looking to respond to suffering, can I tell you there's no perfect set of words to make pain subside or sorrow be forgotten. There's no perfect bow to tie. There is only a Savior to embrace. And embracing the Savior, he shows you the marks on his hands. And he says, look, I too suffered. And he shows the marks on his side. And he says, look, I too suffer. And you kneel at his feet. And he bends down and he shows you the marks on his feet. And he says, look, I too suffer. And I am with you in your suffering. Jesus is present in our suffering. Some of you, you just need to hear me say today, right now that Jesus is with you where you are. That just because it is difficult and dark and frustrating and discouraging does not mean he is not with you. Does not mean that he has forgotten you. Does not mean that he does not love you. Does not mean that he is hoping that you crawl out of this and elevate up to meet him. But he is the God who steps down into your suffering to be with you today. To say, you are my child. I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's who Jesus is. He's here right now, and his presence is with you. In fact, even right now, this isn't the close, but right now, if you need to, just close your eyes and say to him, Jesus, reveal to my heart that you're with me. Speak to me right now and lift me up. And he will. That's the thing that makes Jesus unique. Every religion wants you to ascend, to lift up out of things, and Jesus says, I'm going to come down and be with you in the midst of them. And yet Jesus also gives us ways to respond to suffering. As those who have been promised that there will be suffering in this world, right? Jesus says, there will be troubles. There will be tribulation. But I'm with you, and I've overcome. The question is, how do we respond to suffering. I think often we see suffering as somehow disqualifying us for a life with Jesus. And yet it seems to me as we read the New Testament that suffering is a pretty common mark of a life lived with Jesus. And so that we ought not to be discouraged but say, God, how can we respond when things are hard? And so I want to give you four responses today. The first is worship. Somebody say worship. Worship. Isaiah 55, 8. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think no one better understood that than King David. Because when King David was in trouble, he would write uh, psalms, and uh, they would be uh, I mean, if you've ever just sang through a psalm or read through it, I mean, there, there are powerful moments, and usually they go like this. Everything is awful, but God, I trust you. Right? Anyone's prayer has been like that recently? Right? Everything is difficult. Everybody wants to kill me. I've never sang that, but the people who have, you know. But God, I trust you. 
Sometimes we like get mad of ourselves for praying those prayers, but that's like a very biblical prayer, right? Everything's tough, but God, you're good, and I trust you, and I trust in your goodness, for surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. Worship is special because it, it's not necessarily about, about a, the, the music or about you know, a certain tone. It's about this moment where we as people say, God, I, I believe you're great. I don't understand everything that's happening. I can't see the future, but I trust in you, yeah. right? I trust in you. So in everything, whether it's like, God, you're great, things are going great, I can't see the future, but I trust in you, or God, you're great, nothing is going great, but I trust in you. That's worship. That's why the church worships together, because we need that time. That's why people show up early just to worship. That's why they show up early just to pray. They're like, God, I need you. I trust you. This isn't about a feeling. I mean, Matthew plays a beautiful guitar, but this isn't about a guitar tone. This is about, God, I need you and I trust you, right? I'm hungry for more of you, right? Holy Spirit, pour down on me. I need you. In suffering, can I just encourage you? That's our best response. The enemy will try to keep you from that response and condition you against it because he doesn't want you to have that moment of intimacy and worship with God that you're going to have for eternity in heaven. You know what you're going to do in heaven for forever? You're going to fall down on your knees before God and you're going to say, God, thank you. I love you. You're great. You're wonderful. Hosanna, Hosanna, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah forever. And when we're in trouble, sometimes we need that moment of just like, okay, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't understand what's going on with my kids, but I trust you. I don't understand what's going on with my health, but I trust you. I don't understand what's going on in my job, but I trust you. I don't understand what's going on in my head right now, but I trust you. But I trust you. Second thing, ask God to teach us. Some of us, you know, God does it anyways, but it's nice when we ask. Romans 5, 3 says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, suffering will come, we're promised suffering will come, and it's not that God is necessarily bringing suffering, but what I love is that God can bring something good out of us in suffering. That God not only brings us out of suffering, but that he brings something out of us as he's bringing us out of suffering. I spend a good deal of time with people who are suffering, and I have to say, that's usually the time when people learn the most about God, about themselves, right, and about how God's called them to minister. If you have something you've been really needing to lay down, guess when you'll learn that you need to lay it down in suffering. I wish we didn't learn it there, but we do. If you have a way that God is, is stirring and, and trying to help you uh, to really see him, the, the place that we often learn it is suffering. Why? Because everything else begins to fall away. Not that God has put the suffering on us, but he's the only one who can bring clarity. I've sat with people and thought, man, this looks like a mess. This thing is over, right? And just been like, okay, God, uh, you're great. I love you. I trust you, right? Let's just worship, right? I love you. I trust you. And God makes something amazing out of it. He didn't cause it, but what the devil meant for evil, God can use for good. See, some of you are in suffering. Can I just encourage you, the best thing you can do is just snatch the purpose out of the devil's hands. You might be in the middle of it, but you can at least steal the purpose of it from him. You say, man, I'm struggling with my health. Steal the purpose away. Say, God, begin to teach me something about you. I'm struggling with my mental health. God, teach me something about myself in this moment. I'm struggling in my family. God, would you just begin to reveal some things? Would you, would you do something? Would you turn this into a testimony? I don't want this to be part of my story. I want this to be part of my testimony to who you are. 
God, would you teach me something? I can't do it. It's not by my power. It's not by my strength. It's not by my greatness. But God, I believe that you can do something by the Holy Spirit. That you would guide me. That I'd begin to learn more about your heart and your love. Maybe some of you that this season, God's just saying, I know you're in it. I just want to show you how much I love you. That you don't have to prove anything to me. The third thing, and this is the hardest. Everyone still with me? The third thing and the hardest thing, be patient. That's the worst one, right? No, these are terrible, Pastor. Pick better ones. They're all supposed to have the same letter, and these are terrible. Learn, patience, these suck. Right? No, this is the Word of God, and it's good for us. This is probably the hardest one. I love James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Scripture encourages us, amidst everything we're facing, be patient, wait on the Lord. Why does that matter? Because when we begin to wait on the Lord, it begins to remove bitterness. And it's not just making it through. It's not just survival, it's about revival. It's not just about surviving what your family's facing. It's about saying, God, would you bring revival there? Would you bring something fresh and new that only you can do? And I'll wait on you, Lord. Sometimes our prayer time needs a transition to be being patient. God, I'm just going to wait on you. I'm coming in. I'm just like anxious. I'm a ball of all kinds of things, and I just want to dump it at your feet. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to wait on you, and I'm going to be patient. See, in our suffering, we got to keep our eyes on Christ in the eternal blessing. That while our faith is being tested, we're trusting in God, but we're also hoping for an eternal reward in heaven where there will be no pain and no suffering. We stand before God and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I know that we live in a now culture. And so the spiritual principle of long suffering is almost gone, right? The spiritual principle of long suffering is seen as a punishment, but it's actually a fruit of the spirit. And as believers, it brings great fruit in our life because we begin to get an eternal perspective that is not thrown by the waves to the left or the right, but is fixed upon heaven in our life. Say, I'll wait on the Lord because he's good. And finally, the last one, last one, compassion. In fact, band, you guys can come forward. Do you know the message of Christ is one of compassion? 2 Corinthians 1.3 says this. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 1.3-5. I want to make sure you have this reference because I want you, if you would, just go read this later too. I think it could bless your life. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Did you catch that? We comfort others as we are being comforted, right? As we're being comforted. One of the greatest fruits of our suffering is often a compassionate heart for those who suffer. Have you noticed that? That the places, the times, the areas where you've suffered in, all of a sudden you begin to be a little more keen to seeing others when they're in them, right? You suffered in a physical way, 
you begin to be more keen and more aware of others and you have that compassion. If you've suffered through addiction, you become aware and you become open in your heart towards seeing those people in the, in the situation and you become uniquely gifted at speaking into where they are. See, just as Jesus Christ is present with you in your suffering, our response to others and their suffering can simply be presence. See, your friend doesn't need more words, more answers. Your spouse doesn't need more words. Your coworker doesn't need more words or posts or articles. They need presence, the presence of Jesus. They need someone to sit down and to be Jesus to them. To say, how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? To pray for them, to love on them, to embrace them. Church, the world is full of broken and hurting people. And ironically, in a season that makes it all about us, was started by a God they made it all about the hurting and broken. <laughs> that Jesus Christ came to be present as Emmanuel, God with us, to sit with those who are suffering. I was driving with my wife this week and I was saying, I just don't really think people are doing well. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this as a trend. Just at nobody, you talk to anybody and they're all, they're all like a straw away from breaking down everything and moving into the woods. And I just, no one is doing well. I don't think we've mourned the past couple of years well. I don't think we've balanced our time well. I don't think, you know, we, we've allowed resilience to be taken away from us. And I think many of us feel unqualified to be a comforter to others. But I want to encourage you that it is the very fact you are currently being comforted to God that makes you a good comforter of others. It is not that you are comforting as God has previously comforted you, but you are comforting with the comfort that you are receiving from God, as the Word of God says. That your ability to comfort others is simply a passing on to what you are requiring as your source of life right now. And it's not because you are perfect, but because Christ is present with you right now. That means that you can bring life. And we're often disqualifying ourselves because we don't feel like we have what it takes to love on somebody else because we are still trying to recognize and realize the great love of Jesus. But can I tell you, that is what makes you uh, authentic, is that you too are walking through that reality. I saw a comic strip of two turtles, and one said, um, Some, sometimes I'd like to ask why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice when he could do something about it. The other turtle says, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. The enemy wants to say you're too busy, you're too messy, you got too much going on, you're too broken, but God says, I'm with you, right? What if God has put you at that job, not to make more money, but to share the hope of Jesus Christ? What if God has brought you to this city, not for the weather, not for what you can get out of it, but maybe he's brought you to this city to share the hope of Jesus Christ, not out of your perfection, but out of his presence. Maybe he's put you in that school. Maybe he's put you in that family. Maybe you've married into that family, not because they're perfect, but because someone needs to be a presence bringer into that family, the presence of Jesus Christ. You say, I know, but I have stuff going on. Yes, you will always have stuff going on. The difference is not if you will be needing the comfort of Jesus. It's just whether you'll be handing it down to somebody else because we all need it. But this season, what's amazing is regardless of your circumstance, you can be a catalyst for hope. And as you begin to share that comfort, it also renews the comfort in your own life from the Holy Spirit. Church, will you be a catalyst of hope for somebody this season that needs the presence of God to sit down beside them 
and to tell them that they are not alone. They are not forsaken. They are not forgotten, but they are loved just like you need. Will you be a catalyst of hope this season? Let's stand together this morning. As you stand, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I appreciate that you're here on a Sunday after Thanksgiving. And as we close out this series, I, I'm going to, in just a second, invite people up. And we did this in first service. We're going to do it again here. That if you are in a situation where you are in despair, you are discouraged, you're suffering, and you, you need God to move. Or today you want to stand in the gap. I know my wife can't want to sit in the gap this morning then I want to invite you in just a moment I'm going to invite you to come up and we're going to pray that God would move upon your life and upon who you are standing in the gap for and can I tell you we have seen God move but before we do that I want to pray specifically over this church as we head into a season of hope and if you're here and you're saying yes God as I follow and truly follow Christ I want to be a catalyst for hope I want to share hope this season would you do a favor, do me a favor, would you just lift your hands with me this morning? If you say, yes, Lord, I want to be a catalyst of hope this season, and I want to pray a blessing over your life. God, I pray right now over every hand raised. And God, I pray right now that you would speak upon them an opportunity to bring hope to others. God, in fact, right now, I pray you would bring someone to their mind, to their thinking right now that needs to be invited to hear a message of hope. And I pray that you would give them a supernatural opportunity, God. I pray to the person here that is so overwhelmed with things to do and busyness and all of that, God, I pray you would supernaturally make a way that you're the God who created time and so you know how to use it. So God, I pray you would find a way. To the person who feels unqualified, I pray you would encourage them even right now in the name of Jesus and that this place would be full of people who feel far from God but in a moment would discover how deep and how wide your love is because of the obedience of a room of people. So we just say, here we are, God. We open our hearts to the opportunity in your name. Amen. The second thing this morning, and I'm just going to invite you up in just two seconds, is if you're here and you're saying, I'm, I'm in a season of, of suffering or I'm standing in the gap, and, I, and I'm going to pray and believe for deliverance and freedom, and for God to move in that situation, I'm just going to invite you forward right now. If you're saying, I need deliverance, would you just come forward right now? Or you want to stand in the gap for somebody? Come forward and just stand right up front. We're going to pray for you. Two seconds. Come forward right now. around these people. If you're in this place, would you just reach your hands out? We're going to pray together today. The Lord is saying this morning, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom in this place. And so we pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray a freedom in the name of Jesus and a restoration under the authority of a mighty God that the old is gone and the new has come and your mercy is new God we pray right now a connection a renewing of minds right now by the power of the Holy Spirit I pray Holy Spirit right now that you would overcome with your power right now and overwhelm from the top from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet God we pray your spirit would be sensed in every part God that you are here mighty Jesus I pray you would reveal the depths 
and riches of your love right now that you would reveal the depths and riches of your care and your mercy for them. God, that they are your precious children. And God, as they stand here and stand in the gap, God, we pray you would bring deliverance and freedom in the name of Jesus right now. Deliverance in the name of Jesus. A release of any past fear or shame in the name of Jesus. We pray a complete and total freedom. In fact, God, to anything hanging over that's been hanging over generationally, we pray it broken right now in the name of Jesus. What's been hanging over from the fathers of the earth would be broken right now by the Father in heaven. That it doesn't speak to identity, that it doesn't speak to future. It came from the past, but it's broken right now in the name of Jesus. It doesn't go forward except to inform testimony to your freedom right now. And so God, we pray your mighty hand right now. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.